From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year. You can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design, explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online, or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Julie Heaton is a UK-based machine embroidery artist whose work explores her experiences following the death of her husband in 2009. Um, her work's beautiful, and in this second part of our interview, we talk about the time she spent making a portrait of her father and then the experiences she had doing a master's at the Royal College of Art, something that really helped her get to a point of honest reflection. It's really interesting with Julie that she's been through this great tragedy that we talked about in the previous episode and now her work has been this kind of therapeutic process, this way of you know, her husband has been her muse and has inspired her work. And the work that she did at the RCA marks a new chapter in which she's able to talk overtly about her internal dialogue. I really enjoy talking to Julie. Not only is her work technically amazing, but for someone to be so intimately connected to such a powerful event in their life, it was really, it was an honor to talk about the work with her I think both of these episodes like I'm recording these intros having not long spoken to her and I think I'm still feeling the the poignancy of it all good things can come from bad situations and I think that's a takeaway that we can take from listening to Julie you know she went through something horrendous her children lost their father but I think she recognizes that despite all of that there have been some positive outcomes and that life is beautiful but unfortunately sometimes it takes really hard things for us to realize that thanks for being here thanks for listening to this episode do if you can listen to the first episode first and then this one and obviously there are plenty more episodes if you like julie's kind of work then listening to the episode with meredith walno would also be worthwhile um if you do like the show 
feel free to ping me a message on Instagram and tell me that you're listening. That'd be great. I'll be back next week with an interview with a different artist. Uh, so until then, enjoy the show. So let's let's mm. go back then. So you did a City and Gills 2008 textiles from the start. Mm. Was textiles always a thing for you, like if you go back to your childhood? Um, yes, I think it was. I think it was. I, my mum, I remember my mum my used to, um, we never had any money when we were children. Um, and my dad would have two jobs in the drawer on the side to sort of save money for holidays and things. And um, if we wanted any new clothes, quite often, um, well, I, things weren't passed down to me quite so much because I was the oldest, but my mum was really good. Uh, we would have, there would be pictures of clothes in a catalogue, as you had in those days, and she would buy the fabric and she would, because I asked her this recently, I said, did you have a pattern for the clothes to make she said no I didn't have a pattern she would just work it out from dresses that we had and she would adapt them to be you know and we'd come and she'd make these outfits were just like the ones in the picture <laughs> so I, I think um whereas my mum didn't have the patience to teach me to knit and she didn't necessarily teach me to sew but I was just I think I was quite amazed by how she could transform this fabric into these into these outfits um so I always liked textiles but I always liked drawing as well I just used to draw all the time when I was a child always drawing Disney characters particularly liked drawing it was just my whereas people would play with dollies and things I would just be just be drawing crayons and paper right. and and so obviously then I developed a love for using my own sewing machine and making clothes as my mum had and I and I think that's where um so and I'm always able to try and think new things. When I started the City and Guilds felt making course, um, a friend of mine had decided she would have a party for people and we'd all make a very small sample of felt. Um, I'd never heard of felt making before that. So I went along, made this really small piece of felt, fell in love with the process and then thought I'd do a course <laughs> in City and Guilds in felt making. Um, but by doing that course, I didn't really know. I knew I wanted to do more art. I was working for the NHS and um, and I, there wasn't a lot of time because we were a family and it was really busy. And that was one thing a bit sad. Carl had said, if I was going to do any art courses, they had to be bottom of the list of priorities. Okay. So anyway, I, I think I sort of knew that really. Um, and I, so I did, the, I did the City and Guilds course and absolutely loved it. And then when I was there, I thought, oh, fancy doing a foundation course. And so maybe I can do it. Maybe I could possibly even do a, a, a degree. So I guess by being on one course, word of mouth, and I heard about the course in Bristol, then I went to Bristol. And then whilst I was there, it was during that course that Carl died. But during it, Carl and I had also had a conversation about me doing my a BA. And, um, and I guess when I was on my BA and I got challenged about drawing, that was why I turned to my sewing machine, because it was my comfort blanket, really, my tool mm. from my childhood. I remember my mum making the clothes and I'd love dressmaking and just that sound of the sewing machine. Mm. So um, that's why I started using it. Do you think actually if, if, if I want to send you to sleep of an evening, could I just play the sound of a sewing machine? Do you think you might like drift <laughs> off to it? It's like your whale noises or something. <laughs> I know. Well, I think it might be work for my son because um, I hadn't been stitching for a while after doing my, and my son came down and I had the sewing machine going and he said, Oh, Oh, the sewing machine. I can hear your sewing machine from upstairs. <laughs> so I think um, my boys love it as well. Mm. You know, the sound of the sewing machine. And it's so, clear that um, the the, the machine, because that's the interesting thing. I was reflecting on your work because you started out and there were quite a few objects, like you say, with the car engine and the chocolate bar. 
But then moving into doing work that involves people, because it's one thing to capture like realism of an object, but to then try and capture the essence of a human, which I think is what you have to do when you get into portraiture, isn't it? That's the leap, right? It is, yeah. It is, yes. That is the that is it. And um, I don't know if you've seen the picture of my dad. Mm, amazing. Because we had a yeah, we had a really difficult relationship after my husband died, after Carl died, because my dad was just old school and decided he was so cross that Carl could do that to us. But of course, that wasn't that isn't that isn't the case. We couldn't make him understand that, so he would never talk about Carl and um, wouldn't mention you know his name and. So my 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 relationship with him was quite difficult, but I did manage. But my boys carried on seeing him, and they had a really good relationship with him. And then anyway, then sadly he was older, and he was diagnosed with cancer, and he became ill. And we we did start to build up a bit more relationship, like it had been when I was a child. But it was still a bit challenging in the beginning. But anyway, as as we carried on, you know, I realised the value. You know, his relationship with my boys was just that we. He, you know, after their dad, my, you know, my dad was there, kind of a significant, really significant person in their, in their life. So when he was ill, I just said, Dad, can I take a photograph of you? And, um, and anyway, so we did lots of different pictures, but this one, I captured it as he was looking at, he was looking up at my son mm. and there was just this twinkle in his eye. And, and, um, and I just knew that was the drawing that I wanted to sort of make of him. Mm. And, but then we had the joke, this is, this is, um, about oh well, I'll make this drawing, Jad, and one day you never know. Maybe I can enter a national portrait gallery, the um, a competition for portraiture. So, um, so anyway, but that was just a bit of a standing joke with my with with my dad, and I don't know if he really took that on board. But anyway, I carried on and I made the, made this piece of well, it was just really, really, really hard to make. Actually, I did find because being a bit tearful when you're making and using water soluble fabric. <laughs> <laughs> there's a risk <laughs> okay there's a risk yeah so some oh. days I could do it and other days I'd have to leave it but um I was really invested in making that piece emotionally um but that gets me on to the the subject of the National Portrait Gallery they didn't mm. have the competition for a few years they were closed they've now opened again I was so excited to see that they'd launched a competition but it's only for portraits um mm. made with paint so you can't have an embroidered you can't have an embroidered portrait unless you have got some paint somewhere in the portrait. So right. and so I just think you know when you said about capturing the essence of a person in portraiture, but I think well, mm. it was shocking that they didn't value that you could do that in stitch. As far as they're concerned, it can only be done in oil um, or acrylics and on board. So it's a really interesting um, sort of quandary, you know, when you're working with textiles at that that sort of intensity and at that level and it can still be undervalued um forgive me for using foul however, language but it's bullshit isn't it <laughs> i was so cross about it and i contacted them and i didn't i got a very sympathetic response saying that we would pass on your feedback to you know the competitions team um and then i replied to that and i haven't heard anything back I, I felt so cross about it. And there's a few other textile artists on Instagram as well who'd had a similar sort mm. of, you know, that I think they'd also had a conversation with the National Portrait Gallery. Yeah. But it's just, I just feel like it's quite unbelievable. But then um, 
that makes that puts more fire it's like being told not to draw you know it just puts more fire in your belly to just keep making you know this sort of this sort of work yeah just 100%. to so let's uh, mm. just for, if anyone's listening right now go to julieheaton.com forward slash dad go and do that on your phone now we'll just wait here for a minute so you can get the picture up because i want to ask you a couple of questions about it um one is how big is the piece it's um it's true to life so it's the same size as, as my oh, dad. Um, yeah okay wow so I always okay go. no small piece then hmm no, no, it's a true to life. It's sort of um, because I, I think I took the photograph and then I would enlarge the photograph by about 10 percent. Um, and then I, I'll print it out and trace over the outline of it mm -hmm. just so I get everything in place. Because I think when you're on the sewing machine, you can only see uh, in my 20 centimeter hoop. Mm. But of course, that doesn't mean to say that outline stays because that outline dissolves, that outline mm. distorts as you're sewing it. So you're still constantly having to look at the computer, look at your photograph on the computer screen. And yeah. then I've got my sewing machine, which is not connected to my computer at all. Some people think it is, <laughs> but it's all done freehand. Um, and then you're just trying to draw um, and reproduce that image. But I got books out on portraiture so I could. So I did. I do look at how people work with oil paints and how they do portraiture and how they build it up in layers, lots of sort of greens and yellows at the base and moving through the different pigments that are in skin. So I, I work sort of through it with a similar sort of process that people do when they're painting. Mm. Um, but again, it's like jeopardy. You know, you if you can't, you might get one part right, but then if you get another part of it wrong, you sort of can ruin hours and hours and hours of work. So yeah. it is it is challenging. I can't just scrape it off and repaint it. Yeah. <laughs> if something goes wrong, you've got to either carefully cut it out and redo it. So um but it was a it was um it was a a challenging piece of it, but I really needed to make that piece. Mm. I think that's what I find these pieces are quite big, but normally they are really invested some time in thinking about them before I even start making them. Yeah, and then diving mm. into the subject matter when you're making them, because only when you're recreating something like that would you consider the contours of your father's forehead lines and the fact that they show that he's raised his eyebrows a lot because rather than having, like, frown lines and you dive into mm. those things. I'd imagine you dwell on those intricacies as you go along. Oh, I do, and especially his lips. He had these really thin sort of lips, and I remember just getting that and trying to just tweak it. And then it would just be, sometimes it's just a case of a couple of stitches just need to be put at the end of the lips or sort of underneath. And I remember coming down and, and my boys coming down and I said, look, and they said, oh, that's, oh, that's grandpa's, um, that's grandpa's smile. Mm. And they said, you've got his mouth. They said, it's just, um, and so recreate it. It just feels quite magical still when you recreate it in stitch because you know, sometimes it's just, like I said, just the odd stitch just put somewhere that just makes all the difference. Um, so it is a really exciting, it is an exciting process. And even the background. And I think it's... As well, the background, there's a lot of background. Mm. And I think that's quite an interesting decision to make. Yes, there is a lot of background. And the background is a completely different colour to what was in the photograph. So that took me a while to decide what to do with that really um and i think at some point there is a change in the color of threads which i mm. know is there but other people don't seem to notice it um 
So it took me a long time to decide just even what colour, you know, that should be. So, and, and it surprised me sometimes, a bit easy, yeah. Sorry, I'm just looking at him now. He looks like such a cool granddad. He looks like such a good, because uh, you know, know you're a classic granddad when you get one. Yeah. We keep thinking, oh, I've called the piece dad, but sometimes I say to my boys, oh, maybe we should call it grandpy instead. Because, mm-hmm. you know, it is more about, but anyway, it's about him being my dad and being their grandpy. And I, I guess it's about the relationship that they have with him, but also my relationship with him that I, you know, we took the photograph and it was just the right thing to do. Mm. And that, that picture hasn't been, that drawing hasn't been anywhere. It was up in... When Hand in Lock were, um, after Hand in Lock, they have a small exhibition at the barge mm. at the Oxo Tower. So it, it went to that. But apart from that, it's just on my wall at home. So I, it's it's just ours. <laughs> Are you ever not yeah. tempted to just like maybe put a tiny blob of paint in like the top left corner of the background to technically make <laughs> it worth going into the Academy? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that on principle. I would rather, you know, just. Com- <laughs> I appreciate. I, I wouldn't do it on principle. Yeah, <laughs> I want them to appreciate, you know, the the value. I, I I still can't quite believe that they don't appreciate, you know, value textiles. And but it's the same for a lot of a lot of places. The summer exhibition. There are. I mean, the year I my piece, um, the car engine got in Bristol two liter engine. It was Grayson Perry, mm. and. Um, you know, how fortunate to be Grayson Perry. I mean, I just kept thinking the fact that he chose my piece of work, but I think, well, it, it was a, a stitched car engine. So it was just, it was it was so amazing the year that he uh, um, was um, curating the show. Mm. And there were, there still wasn't a massive amount, but there were a lot more textiles in it that year. Mm. But it's always, it's, it's always something you're going around and you you can count them, can't you? A piece of paper to count how many pieces are you know made with, with stitch. Um, but I think it's also quite an exciting time for textile artists because I think we're we're challenging that now. Mm. So um, I might be Tracy Emin. You know she's amazing at champion. You know she uses whatever medium um, is right to say what she wants to say. Mm. So I mean I've had this conversation mm. a few times. I still look forward to the times when textile artists are just considered an artist rather than just textile artists but also when people become renowned Mm. because of their textile art not their renowned and then they use textiles which I think is quite a common occurrence at the moment Mm. yeah yeah but we'll get there I think it's um yeah I think so as well (laughs) so then you went on and you did your MA and then that led to some much more experimentation i feel like this is starting you off on a different kind of path if they are you still going to always be machine but now you're like experimenting with other media at the same time yeah that's really interesting because um when i when i went to the royal college of arts i was again it's that sort of jeopardy thinking gosh i've got an established practice um i'm going to go here and they're going to expect me to change it but of course that's why i went because i wanted to change um my practice but what I discovered, what I really changed <clears throat> was the way I talked about what had happened to my family. So there was this one. So when I was making my stitch, I was alluding to what had happened through this way that I made. But when I got to the Royal College of Art, um, I suddenly um, found that I could. I could actually start making work where I was talking about what had happened. Um mm. So 
when I was challenged about my drawing practice, I went off and um, so I very happy to, so I started again thinking, well, first of all, I thought, actually, gosh, I'm just going to fail here. <laughs> well, I didn't <laughs> fail. I, I did pass the module. As well. But we all, I mean, I just think imposter syndrome at the RCA, we all got there and we all yeah. felt the same. So that was quite reassuring that we all felt the same. So I started off on this drawing process, again, closing my eyes. And instead of using my same, same machine this time, I was using charcoal and paper and pencil. And, and it was Christmas again. And I've had lots of different things that have happened at Christmas. And I find it a really traumatic period of the year. So I was making drawings and I realised that the marks were responding to how I was feeling inside. You know, sometimes the marks were heavy, sometimes they were sort of light, they were fast, they were angry. And there was such a connection to how I felt and the mark that was turning up on the paper. And and at the Art Royal College of Art, I could have that conversation about it, about this connection between how I was feeling and the marks that were on the paper. And um and I just and then they were open to these conversations, so I just carried on exploring it. Um, but again, it was a conversation mostly between me and, and my tutors. But then we had this exhibition um, in in our first year. It was a gallery project, and I'd still carried on exploring this idea of making marks that responded to how I felt. And I had, and some of them, um, but I then also became really interested in this was to do with my body and my body was giving away how I how I felt and you can hide how you feel with with words you can say you're fine but maybe you're not and you can you can smile when it's not necessarily such a good day but your body just holds it all tight inside and your body can be a bit altered in the way you carry it according to how you're feeling and um and I'd made so I got really fascinated with the back because I feel like this tension can be in the back um, so I was making drawings where I was touching and feeling my body, but I also was making some sculptures as well that responded to the, the shape of backs. And I had one and I called it, um, it was a little sculpture. It was made with um, fishing, um, chicken wire and it was um, ginger coir, I think. So it was a natural product anyway. And I called this little sculpture of a back with the shoulders slumped and the head bent forward. Why didn't I ask before you left? And um, so I had this title mm. and and it was like the first time I was actually talking about how I felt, these questions I had that I'd been too embarrassed to say or or I had to felt it was right. And so I, and then I had a conversation with my peers about this, about the title. And then another and then I had my drawings as well where I was touching a feeling in my body and I gave those another title. I gave them. I cannot feel, but I do. Mm. And just not sure. Just what's going on inside and it's really hard to describe how you're feeling and my peers were just quiet and so just bit overwhelmed and so supportive and yes I think that's really you know that's that's great so this is the first time I'm actually using titles about how I felt mm. in my work and I'm going to show it to somebody so then the tutors come in and we all have to do a crit and um and every piece of work is they're so fantastic, the tutors there. I mean, it was the most, it, we it was the textile department. It, it, it was such a privilege to be there and to tap into all these, you know, the knowledge of these tutors and their support. But also they they also tell you as well when it's not quite, they have a good way of telling you as well when it's not quite working or you need to change your approach. But anyway, so we start, criti you know, critiquing the work and how it's all hung and, and how I'd placed this little sculpture on this plinth and, 
really should be thinking about the plinth. And anyway, so the conversation's carrying on. And then um, one of my friends says, oh, Julie, maybe you need to, maybe the tutors need to ask you what the title is. So with this room, so it's more people now, so it's the whole, everybody's on this module. I say the titles for work. And then, um, you know, it goes, it goes quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just for about 10 seconds. And then, and then we continue, and then there's this amazing energy in the room as we, as we pick up this conversation about the titles. And, um, and it's like the first time in my life I've felt in this, to be in this, this safe, this place where I didn't realise that's what I was going to get when I went there, where I felt so safe and so supported and you could really be honest and open. Mm. And, um, and that moment was pivotal then because I then was trying to write my dissertation at the same time and struggling with my dissertation. Because it was, um, even though I've written one before, this particular one I was struggling with because I was trying to link my work to suicide and art and how it changed my views. And, and anyway, that moment became pivotal. And I talked about how I got to that point in my, in my dissertation. How had I managed to find a way to talk about the unspeakable? How had I managed to find a way to do it in a room full of people who I, you know, and some of them I knew well, but some of them I didn't know well. And I was really curious about that and how I'd got there. And um, and that is how the, the Royal College of Art just continued. You know, there was always this way. I mean, and I didn't get, um, just because I was using really emotional, emotive work, I didn't, that didn't give me an easy ticket through it. Yeah. It still challenged the way that I was making or how I might be approaching something. But it was, um, it was... Again, I, I I don't think I would have been at the Royal College of Art if I hadn't been making the work that responded to Carl dying. Mm. So my life has taken, it's been, it's, you know, it's, it's taken on, it's completely been sort of transformed good ways and bad ways from from what's happened. And going to the Royal College of Art was um was a privilege, and I I really I really enjoyed it. It was hard work. Must, it was really hard work. <laughs> must be quite a profound moment for you to realise that you were able to communicate about that stuff. Like that must have been quite mm. quite the time. It was, and to be making work that related to my body and and showing that work, and having you know having conversations about it, um, was just. I don't think I could quite believe it really, and quite sort of take it all in. Um, and I and I feel like you know the work I was making, sort of touching, building my body uh, being acknowledging that things happen to us, you know, different life events affect who we are. You know, we are a sum of, it's like somebody once described to me, um, like when somebody takes their own life, it's like a game of Jenga. Every time something good or bad happens, you know, you take a brick from the top and you put it at the top. And every time something good or bad happens, it still has an effect on who we are. Mm. And, um, and then sometimes that pile just, they just collapse and they just fall to the ground. Um, so <clears throat> it was. It is really so. The fact that I could um, could could work like this, could explore what happened to me, layer it all up, really think about how one piece of work was affecting the next layer, and and then using print to print these drawings onto cloth again. A bit of jeopardy, not being a printer, <laughs> not really knowing how it worked. Yeah, using a process that was completely alien to me. <laughs> So, um, so again, I guess a bit more jeopardy in that. So I'm using that process. And that was all that happened last year. Yeah, I finished. Yes, uh, the summer of um, 23. Yeah, we graduated mm. last year. 
amazing congratulations yeah, yeah. Mm, uh, so you. where 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 do you feel you're going next where do you feel the path is heading now well I think I still really enjoy um uh, stitch and when I was at the RCA I couldn't really quite work out how to incorporate my stitch into my practice but um so where I think I'm heading now is the um I think the brief for hand in lock just connects with what I was doing for um, the RCA. Whether or not I'll get the piece made in time for the hand in lock competition, I don't know. But it has inspired me to make a piece of work um, about my body and about my back, um, which was um, what I was doing there. So I'm going to, so I'm just, um, I've had a, a photographer come over and I've taken some photographs. So I'm just exploring that idea at the moment. So I think I'm still carrying on working with stitch at the moment. I haven't shelved the idea of sort of working with print because I think the processes I was using at the RCA could be really good for workshops. But um, all I am trying to do as well is get some embroidered workshops running up and going because I think I've spent sort of 12 or 13 years now learning about this process. I'm not an embroiderer. I wasn't, I wasn't trained in embroidery. I've just learned how to do it and found it that it's a, a really good tool for me so I just want to share that passion as well with other people so yeah. those are the two things I'm exploring at the moment how to make a, a stitched piece of work that reflects my research at the RCA and also how can I pass and share some of this love with with other people as well so um I think those are the two things that I'm trying to concentrate on at the moment but I am quite excited by the idea of making a piece of work relates to my body and relates to everything that I was studying there it reminds me I was trying to think of when you see like sometimes in whether it's sitcoms or something you know the guy really likes the girl but he's a bit nervous and he doesn't want to say the words at the time so he goes and like hides in a room and says into a plant pot or something you wonder whether this this RCA body of work is you saying stuff but you're saying stuff in a context that's so different to your current work but now you've said it You've gone, right, I can do that. I can move forward on that. So mm. now it gives you the opportunity to say it in the medium that you're generally used to. It's almost like yeah, I and I I think you've summed it up so well saying that. And I think, I think that's what happened at the Royal College of Art. It gave me the ability to, you know, to, to find, you know, a way to talk about things that are really unspeakable. Mm. Um and so it gave me that power and that strength to actually then start thinking about making a piece of work um, where I can have those conversations that I was too scared to have before. So um, so that's why I think making a piece of work that relates to my body. Again, something that's quite hard to do To It's quite, I feel, mm -hmm. you know, showing your flesh <laughs> in a piece of work that people are going to see. Um, but I wanted to be having a conversation. This piece of work is all about how the body keeps a score after trauma. So it's, it's quite obvious. It's, which I, beforehand, I was too scared to do that. Mm. So the, the RCA has been this amazing platform to give me that confidence feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's like such like a raw art thing, isn't it? it you reflect back and it's nothing to do with actually the, the practice it's to do with the story. Like that's what they're getting out of you mm -hmm. in whatever form it comes. 
Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I'm still not really quite sure how that is going to manifest in Stitch at the moment. But I think that's why I went there, because I needed to challenge that. Um, like one of the tutors said, you know, do you, you know, just having an idea of a drawing and then just making it. I wanted, well, they were saying that I think of all the pieces I've made, there's been really good reasons behind why I've made them. You know, and a lot of them have taken a lot of time before I've actually got around to making the picture. I spent a lot of time thinking about it. So, um, so yeah, so I'm really curious as well to see what happens with this next piece of work, mm. how I approach it. Amazing. So, They're so good. The thing is, is like yeah. your, your machine stitch stuff. Do you know Case Zavaye? You must know her work, I guess, because she's a fantastic yes, portrait. Yeah. So, you know, the, oh, the similarities, yeah. obviously she's hand embroidery and your machine embroidery, but, you know, your work's so much on a par with that. There's such... I wish there were more detailed shots of your work on your website so that you can really dig in and appreciate the intricacy of the stitches. Like that picture of your dad's amazing, okay. but I kind of want to stare into his eyes. I want to see the depth of how his eyes are made because otherwise you can't really get the gravity of it, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. Well, I think um, my, it's always my... <laughs> <laughs> my son, I'm sure he goes, oh my gosh, mum wants photographs. So they're always hidden somewhere on some hard drive. <laughs> I have to try and find them. Um, but yeah, that, I think at the moment, I'm trying to sort of start telling my story a bit more on Instagram. So I've been going back through some of my old photographs to find more photographs of the way I've worked, I've been making. And um, yeah, I think actually, I think I've got, especially the couple on the tube, mm. I've got lots of close-ups there. So I could do, I yeah, I, I might look into putting those on my website, actually. Because from a so technical standpoint, the, the you know, it's just fascinating. Up. As you said, mm. you struggled with the realism, yeah. how you make realistic-looking fabrics out of stitch, without using the fabrics as well. And I think that's, you know, you've kind of cracked it there. So you have a duty to share it to the world of machine embroidery. <laughs> and that's why I want to share it, but I also want to share it in in workshops as well because do you know what it's it's I've, I used to get a teacher art in action and there's something so magical about spending time with people where they come along for a day and they tap into what you've learned and you give them a day um to explore your processes so I think you know and I think that's where Instagram's quite good as well isn't it because you can put a lot of things on there but I've never been I've I'm not very good at doing that because I really think I think so carefully about what I say. I'm not very good at just putting an image up and just putting a few lines. Mm. Everything is more profound than that, so I have to really think about it. But um, I am really aware of sharing more of that information about what goes on behind my making. And one thought I've just had, though, is actually I think you'd be a fantastic tutor. Whether you're able to go down the route of helping people process things using Stitch, because the thing is, is you've been a midwife and if ever there was a journey that people go on of birthing a project or birthing something you know it's being a midwife so you've got this inherent skill set of helping people go through painful journeys which is quite an interesting mm. like reflection I think <laughs> yeah I know and um and even if it's I wouldn't I wouldn't want to be a therapist now or I wouldn't want to go sort of down a route like that but I am really mm really interested to make work where people can just come along and just have a nice time and if they do want to chat about things it can be in a safe and in an environment that feels safe and when we are when we are using fabrics and threads and things that we're so familiar with it does help us to have those conversations mm. um and it's also just realizing that that conversation is different for everybody even if you've lost in the same way how mm. we approach it what we need 
is, is all really different. But there's this connection with textiles. Mm. So it's just, um, yeah, it's a, it's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful medium that we're all part of. I'm, mm. So do feel very fortunate. Mm. Even at a basic level as well, just people making art, people expressing themselves as if they've never done that before, that can be quite an uncomfortable thing. You know, so just holding people's hands mm. as they go through that is is the very essence of it. I've done that teaching cross stitch. You know, I've had people who've really yeah. struggled to get over themselves because they're doing cross stitch, and particularly if they're like a thirty year old man or a twenty five year old man or whatever. You know, but you hold their hands and you get yeah. through it, and you give them their theirs. And obviously, an epidural is a bit of an extreme thing to do in an embroidery workshop, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, you just you're there with them on the journey. <laughs> it's much more than just teaching yeah. stitching, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think that's where that's what's really good about how I've been challenged about my drawing and told that I shouldn't draw. And, you know, uh, and um, and and that's that's a really good thing to take into these classes to say, well, look, you know, I was told I couldn't do it and I just had to find a way and I didn't know how to stitch. So um, but I can obviously. You know, sort of hope, you know, I can get people going a little bit sooner than I did because yeah. I can show them how I got started. But just this fact that I didn't know what was going to happen. Mm. So it, I just feel like it's open to everybody to um, to explore. And you don't have to even necessarily produce a piece of work, you know, just having a bit of go and understanding how something works. And um, maybe as well, that sound of the sewing machine. I think it would be amazing. Fabric. I can see I can yeah. see you doing, you'll be one of those people that does the workshops in the fancy locations or goes and does workshops on cruise ships. I can see that. You're just, people are going to go on journeys <laughs> with you. It would be amazing. <laughs> oh, I quite like the idea of doing one on the cruise ship. I would like to do more travelling. Yeah, around the Bahamas <laughs> or something. Do you have a favourite band? Well, I think when I'm in my car and I'm driving, the, one of the first bands that I want to put on are, um, is Dire Straits. Yeah. Mm, I really like that music. And I remember um, in, when I was a child, we didn't really listen to music much in the house. We would have Top of the Pops on on a Sunday night and try and record it. But it wasn't a big thing, music. Um, but then when I met Carl, I was introduced to the idea of going to concerts. And the first one we went to was um, a concert, um, was, was Dire Straits. I think it was um was it Brothers in Arms? Right. So I think that's when it was um mm -hmm. I remember having the T shirt and um and so I still really, really love love listening to that music. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's aged quite well, I think, hasn't it? That, like Brothers in Arms as well. Because I mean that was quite uh yeah. because it had that MTV song and that was quite a seminal moment. It was like when would that have been? Like eighty two, something like that? No, I think it's a bit later than yeah, I mean, I'm really, I'm so bad at sort of, I mean, I remember music from when I might have been sort of listening to it, but um, I think it might be in early 90s, like 91 or 92. Do you listen to concert. music when you work? Um, yeah, it varies what I listen to, actually. Sometimes I might have old black and white films on, because when I was living at home and I was quite often stitching on a Saturday afternoon, my mum would be, somebody would be watching TV and there would be an old film on. So I quite like that. Sometimes I listen to podcasts. When you're saying machine scan, you can't really hear an awful lot. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but then with music, I, I will just have radio, you know six music on or radio two. But when my boys are home as well, so I it, it just sort of depends on what kind of mood I'm in. But I do really, I I, I think could live without the tv but couldn't live without music mm. i've actually started so enjoying important. and i've surprised mm. myself here uh, listening to the bbc sounds app because 
they have quite a lot mm. of mixes that kind of suit certain moods over christmas they had a sort of quite a lot of chilled christmas type music that was a little bit alternative and sometimes it was a bit choral and sometimes it's a bit classical but you know when you just want um a mood kind of music like i found that app to be particularly good for that because bbc's got so much stuff um do you have a favorite podcast then yeah i do listen to podcasts as well i um what was the series that Oh, so I used to listen to um, Grant Gibson's, you know, Material Matters quite a lot. But yeah. I'd also listen to any podcast um, about Tracy. And then, uh, especially when I was starting my work at the RCN, I was having a really sort of difficult... I would just listen to as much as I could, as many conversations that I could find um, online that were Tracy. I mean, so I'd quite often be driving back home from London after being at the RCA, and I'd be listening to one of her, you know, somebody interviewing her. <laughs> so... <laughs> Is that a bit like if you've so got I, to prepare for a football match, you kind of like watch people playing football to get in the zone? Are you like getting into the Tracy Emin vibe kind of? Oh, I, I, I think, do you know what? I think I'm just fascinated by her, by how she just sort of, she's got no filter. She just talks about what she needs to talk about. But she also really cares about what people think about the work, even though it looks as if she doesn't care. She really, really does care. And she also really likes it as well, if her work can help other people. Mm. Um, and so I'm just being fascinated by her and some of the artists that inspired her to, you know, that she liked back in her early years as well. And, you know, Egon Schiele and Edvard Munch. And, and so I find that when I was looking at my body and thinking about doing my back, I had a Egon Schiele book mm. with his watercolours in and drawings of backs and things. So I really, um, so I'm a bit of, I will listen to anything that is to do, <laughs> to do with Trace Simmons. But I, yeah, I like podcasts, but sometimes there's so many out there. It's really hard trying mm. to find ones to, um, to, you know, trying to find what you want to listen to because there is so much. But I really love, especially when I'm driving. Mm. I like to yeah, have same. Uh, we've got an eagle and yeah. Sheila poster up in our bedroom. Actually, one of uh, a portrait of his wife, uh, or as I like to call it, Egon's That's Sheila. She's my uh, yeah. My wife's a massive <laughs> fan of him. I think she's a uh, he's really good. Yeah, it's a shame he he died quite young, didn't he, Sheila? He didn't live he past. Died yeah, yeah. He he yeah from the flu, influenza after the war. Yeah. So mm, okay. yeah, that was really that was really sad actually. Mm. Do you have a favourite book? Well, again, I thought long and hard about that, but then I then I started to think about. I've got a book downstairs called "The Body Keeps the Score," by mm. oh, is I can't remember his name. That's all I can can't pronounce it. There I've heard name. of that. Um, yeah, it's so amazing. It talks about. Um, let me just see if I can find the book. I'm sure you can. I will find that his name just to. I've written it down so many times. <laughs> um, the book just talks about how your body deals with traumatic events. Um, and it was just an absolute fascinating read. And that was recommended to me um, by a counsellor, I think, at some point. And I've recommended it to other people. And I've read it so many times that my book has now fallen apart and my book now keeps a score. So it's all wrapped in sellotape. Right. The, cover, the cover's sellotaped together. Yeah. And it became my Bible, I think, when I was writing my dissertation. Mm. So, um, but... Bessel van der Kolk. Yeah, that's it, yeah. Yeah. So 
it's really um it's an invaluable piece of work and especially it's a bit about the smoke detector because my boys would say that i would i'd fly off the handle really quickly could you on this fight or flight you know this you're hot wired for another disaster so as soon as something goes wrong you just go you know you just go you you just go off like a smoke detector and you <laughs> just or you sense so and then rather than looking at a situation assessing it and then deciding how you're going to react and so but this book would help me to understand that and so the book was just been has been invaluable and um and I just constantly refer to it and I think it was it featured throughout my um dissertation mm, interesting and then there was um yeah so, mm. and then uh do you have a favorite film Hmm. Well, the first film that came to mind, I did try to think of lots of other things like Manchester by the Sea, I really like, and but I couldn't help the fact that um, it's a beautiful life. Yeah. yeah I've um, and I think I wrote an essay on that when I was doing my BA as well. So because um, even though it's it, it's obviously a bit, it's a hard one to watch in places, you know. Just um, but the ending when he realizes that it is a beautiful life and that he should. There's so much to live for. Um, so I just think it's a, I just think it's a, a wonderful film and not just for Christmas, just for any time of the year, really. Mm. But you have to be in the right... I can't always watch it. Sometimes it's a bit hard to watch it. But um, I think... I think that might have to be. I've uh, I've only seen <laughs> that once. Yeah, 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 yeah. There? there is, there is, there is. Yeah. But life is beautiful, you know, and I think it's sometimes <laughs> we don't... It's like that... Um, what's the parable? So there's a man hanging off a cliff by a root of a plant and beneath the cliff there is a tiger circling around and he notices that a mouse is starting to chew through the root he's holding on to and he sees a strawberry and he eats the strawberry and it's the most beautiful thing he's ever tasted you know and that's that's what this whole thing's about isn't it we don't appreciate that life mm. is beautiful in every way shape or form and unfortunately it takes big events to make us appreciate those things. Mm -hmm. But I guess that's, and that's, that's the parable, isn't it really? It's a beautiful life. It is. Yeah, it is. Do you know when I used to, when I was at the RCA and I would, um, I would, um, driving up to London, I'd get off the Elizabeth line and I'd have to walk through Hyde Park. I just used to sort of look up and see the trees and the sky and just keep thinking, wow, you know, how did I, how did I get to be here to be doing this? Mm. So, but I know how I got there because of something awful that happened. But, you know, I was just so grateful every time mm. that I was walking through this park and going to college. Yeah, I was. So, um, I listened. I listened to a podcast where a guy, I think it was Seth Godin, the marketer, he was saying, sometimes you might feel a bit fed up about the work that you have to do. But instead of saying, I have to do this, if you can just reframe it and say, I get to do this that automatically makes you feel more positive mm. about things. So even if it's quite a mundane thing, it's still like a bit of a privilege because there'll be far worse things to do. And sometimes that conscious reframing mm. can make all that. It's like, I guess that's why gratitude journals work and that kind of thing, isn't it? Mm. You take the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. What is the one interesting fact that nobody really knows about Julie Eaton? Well, again, I think because I wear my heart on my sleeve, I don't think there's very many interesting facts left underneath, you know, sort of rocks and things that people, people to discover. But I suppose the one thing, um, which I'm surprised people don't always know, but 
when I sold my piece of, I don't know if this is relevant, I, I mean, some people know, but when I sold my piece of work um, at the summer exhibition, I um, I paid for my BA All right. with wow. the money that I made for it. So my BA was, was about three, it was, it was not quite as expensive as they are now. Mm. But um, yeah, so I, I had a piece of textiles that paid for my BA and um, and and that still seems it still sort of shocks people when they hear that and they and they find out. But um, Very I wonder how shocked they would have been if I said I sold a painting. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, God. I mean, that's a whole. I think one day I'm going to have to have an episode of Needle Exchange where I get a few people together and we thrash that out. I I just think the arty crafty debate is just it's it's kind of business, you know. It's a bit of show business it's a bit of smoke and mirrors and stuff but that that principle that you've said there like that portrait of your dad is stunning and the fact that it's not good enough to go into a portrait gallery is an insult i wonder if you'd have made out of well i mean by their token i suppose if you'd have made it out of neon tubes it wouldn't have gone in you know i suppose they're they're being very picked mm. but maybe they should reframe it as the national you know framed uh, no sorry painted portrait you know if they because otherwise yeah they're disenfranchising yeah. so many other media aren't they it's bonkers yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. So. But, you know, I quite look forward to it because I've got plans to open an art gallery one day and then I'll just be like, well, I'm just going to do textile art, except I'm going to call it an art gallery. And <laughs> so it goes. Do you know what I mean? I think the tide is turning. I think this is what we all kind of feel in our bones, don't we? Yeah, I think the tide is turning as well. So I think, um, again, it's, it's a good time to be working with textiles. Remember not, I call myself, I mean, I don't even necessarily... I easily call myself an artist, but I guess I would call myself an artist in that I use textiles to help me say what I want to say. But I also love saying, no, I'm a textile artist as well, because I really like championing, you know, textiles and that medium and just so people will value it. Mm. Yeah, so. I think respectfully, the fact that you've got an MA from the Royal uh, College of Art, I think I'm afraid that does mean you are an artist. I'm just going to clarify that. Right <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. If people want to keep up with you, where do they find you? Um, on Instagram, I think is the best way to to keep up with what I'm doing. Mm, so, mm. so Julie Heaton artist and JulieHeaton.com links in the show notes and all that. Hey Julie, thanks for having a needle exchange with me. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me to have a conversation as well, Jamie. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me on another Needle Exchange. I hope you enjoyed the show. I'd love to hear from you, so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange, that's N-W-E-D-L dot exchange, with any thoughts, comments, or feedback. And if you want to keep up with all the news, sign up to the Needle Exchange mailing list at bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y, forward slash needle exchange. See you next time.